Welcome to the second episode of our podcast's second season, Scary But True Campfire Stories, brought to you by Dudes Camping, hosted and narrated by Matthew S. Newbold. Thanks for listening, and help spread the word. Tell your friends, tell a stranger, post it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other social media outlet that checks facts with unreliable sources and unscrupulous third-party hacks. Our goal is to share true stories of the strange, supernatural, ghostly, and unexplained as we gather around the virtual campfire. Or maybe you are sitting around a real campfire right now. Maybe you have a strange but true story that you'd like to share. Email us at dudescampingstories at gmail.com with your own Bigfoot, UFO, ghost, or unexplained supernatural story and we'll consider it for broadcast. Don't forget to visit us on YouTube and Facebook at Dudes Camping. UFO abductions, Bigfoot sightings, ghost encounters, and demonic entities have been popular topics around the campfire. But what if you had an experience that didn't seem to fit into any of these categories? Something that was so unexplainably terrifying but defied explanation. Children on your doorstep asking you to invite them in speaking strangely, dressed awkwardly, and causing an unjustifiable amount of fear. It isn't until you realize they have jet-black eyes that you slam the door and hide in your closet. The research in this episode relies heavily upon David Weatherly's book titled The Black-Eyed Children and can be found on Amazon or by visiting his website www.eerielights.com. Sit back, relax, and enjoy... The Black-Eyed Children Part 1 Fear of the unknown has always been a source for fiction writers to draw upon and use to frighten even the most rigid and fearless individuals. From classic horror novelists such as H.P. Lovecraft to modern page-turners like Stephen King, they all rely on our fear of something out there. But what if there really was something out there? What if there really was something to be afraid of? Would it justify our fear or would it become modified into urban legends and disregarded as myth? Fear has always been an incredible motivator by governments, politicians, and especially franchised by the media today by their continuous COVID-19 scare tactics and push to inject an experimental drug into every human on the planet by fear. Fear can drive us to stockpile food for a potential survival scenario, or it can compel us to take another life in self-defense. Fear is an emotion induced by the perception or recognition of phenomena which can pose a danger or threat. In other words, the unknown poses a very serious threat to us as human beings. Imagine if that threat one day showed up on your doorstep as a creepy child who was oddly dressed and asking to come in and use your phone, using strange phrases and having disturbing jet-black eyes accompanied by a putrid stench of decaying flesh. An overwhelming sense of uncontrollable dread takes hold of you with no explanation and your instincts tell you, do not open the door. This seems like the beginning of a modern-day Hollywood horror movie which they have attempted to exploit without success, 
but unfortunately this is all too real for some unwary, everyday people who have been forever changed by their terrifying encounters. It is what has come to be known as the black-eyed children, or black-eyed kids, BEK phenomenon. Due to the proliferation of nonsense on the Internet and even mainstream media, this might seem like a very clever hoax perpetrated by kids with black contacts. The truth is that it has become such, but in its origin, BEKs were cited all over the world by credible witnesses who were not looking for publicity but simply trying to make sense of disturbing encounters, firemen, police officers, and people from all walks of life. A superficial search for black-eyed children on Google will present an innumerable amount of experts, self-proclaimed paranormal hunters, photos, videos, and anecdotes which would lead you to believe that if you stood in your yard long enough, eventually one of these kids would walk by asking to use your bathroom. But do not be fooled by the muddying of the waters on this subject. No BEK has ever been trapped or detained. Photographs are easily doctored and therefore useless as evidence, and whenever these encounters occur, the surveillance cameras mysteriously stop working. So the YouTube videos of a fearless guy getting out of his car to hunt them down, using a frequency to attract and catch them on video, or ring videos showing them coming to the front door and asking to come in, are all fanciful attempts at notoriety from the me generation doing their best to not have to work another day in their life. This also poses the question about credibility. How do you determine what is genuine and what is fraudulent? It is very similar to UFO abductions and close encounters of the fourth kind on the Hynek scale. If photo and video evidence can be easily faked, then you must rely upon the credibility and motives of the witness themselves. Anybody could make up such a story to gain a sense of importance among their peers. I was found worthy by the star children to be visited. I must be important to the welfare of Mother Earth. But would a firefighter make up such a story knowing that it could cost him his job? Would a police officer fake a sighting knowing that his mental wellness would be questioned and he could be removed? A man who sits in a cubicle from 9 to 5, plugging on the Internet, will not be as credible as the wife of a judge who understands the consequences of lying. In 2009, Eric Knudsen created a fictional character known as Slenderman for the web forum Something Awful. And just like children who were spooked by a scary movie, people started to see an unnaturally tall and thin faceless man stalking them. It even resulted in a near-fatal stabbing of a 12-year-old girl in Wisconsin in 2014. This shows the gullibility of society and how fears can manifest themselves into reality. Is this what happened with BEKs? If it was that simple, then we could close the book on it and chalk it up to American urban legend. But BEK sightings have preceded the Internet phenomena as far back as 1950. The first modern documented case of BEKs was posted on the Internet in 1998. The Brian Bethel story is the most well-known account and is believed to have started the BEK trend. This is his story. I don't really know what I'd call this story if I was submitting it for publication. Brian versus the evil black-eyed, possibly vampiric or demonic, but definitely not normal kids doesn't have much of a ring to it. 
but at least it's an accurate title. As so many things do, it all started out innocently. My internet service provider used to have offices in a shopping center before they moved to their lavish accommodations elsewhere. There was a drop box at the original location. The monthly bill was due, and thus, there but for the grace of the net, I went. It was close to 9.30 in the evening when I left. It's about a 10- or 15-minute drive to downtown Abilene from my relatively isolated apartment. There was a $1.50 movie theater right next to Camelot Communications' old location, and at the time, it was featuring the modern masterpiece known as Mortal Kombat. I drove around the theater and pulled into an empty parking space. Using the glow of the marquee to write out my check, I was startled to hear a knock on the driver's side window of my car. I looked over and saw two young boys staring at me from the street. Both appeared to be in that semi-mystical stage of life where you can't discern their age, but my initial impression was that they were somewhere between 10 or 14. Oh, great, I thought. They're going to hit me up for money. The boy on the left was the spokesman. The boy on the right didn't speak during the entire conversation, at least not in words. The boy on the left was slightly taller than his companion, wearing a hooded pullover with a sort of gray checker pattern and jeans. I couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive-colored and he had curly brown hair. He exuded an air of quiet confidence. The boy on the right had pale skin with a trace of freckles, his primary characteristic seemed to be looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion, but his pullover was a light green color. His hair seemed to be a pastel orange color. I did not get the impression that they were related. I was filling out a check in my car, which was still running, and suddenly I was overcome with panic. I was confused, but an overwhelming sense of fear and dread rushed in nonetheless. The spokesman smiled, and for some inexplicable reason, my blood ran ice cold. I could feel the fight-or-flight response kicking in. Instinctively, I knew something was not right, but I could not explain it. I rolled down the window just a crack and asked, Yes? The spokesman smiled again, broader this time. His teeth were almost too white. Hey, mister. What's up? We have a problem, he said. His voice was that of a young man, but his diction quite calm and something I still couldn't put my finger on made my desire to flee even greater. You see, my friend and I want to see the films, but we forgot our money, he continued. We need to go to our house to get it. Want to help us out? His command of language was incredible for his perceived age, and he showed no signs of trepidation when speaking to an adult. He articulated as if my help was a foregone conclusion. When he grinned, it was as if he was trying to say, I know something, and you're not going to like it, but the only way you're going to find out will be to do what I say. Uh, well, was the best I could offer. The quiet companion looked at the kid on the left with a mixture of confusion and guilt on his face, he seemed to be shocked, not with his friend's brusque manner, but with the fact that I didn't immediately open the door. He eyed me nervously. The spokesman seemed a bit perturbed as well, and I was still registering something wrong with him. 
Come on, mister, the spokesman said again, smooth as silk. A car salesman couldn't have said it any better. Now, we just want to go to our house, and we're just two little boys. That really scared me. Something in his tone and expression set off alarm bells once again. My mind was frantically trying to assess what was wrong with the two figures standing before me. Um, um, was all I could manage to utter. I saw that my fingernails were digging into the steering wheel. What movie were you going to see? I asked finally. Mortal Kombat, of course, the kid said. The silent one nodded in affirmation, standing a few paces behind. Oh, I said. I stole a quick glance at the marquee and then at the clock in my car. The last showing of Mortal Kombat started over an hour ago. The silent one looked increasingly nervous. I think he followed my gaze and suspected that I might be detecting something was not above board. Come on, mister. Let us in. We can't get in your car until you do, you know. The spokesman said soothingly. Just let us in, and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll go to our mother's house. We locked eyes. To my horror, I realized my hand had strayed toward the door lock, which was engaged, and was in the process of opening it. I pulled it away, probably a bit too violently, but it did force me to look away from the children. I turned back. Uh, um, I offered weakly, and then my mind snapped into sharp focus. For the first time, I noticed their eyes. They were coal black, no pupil, no iris, just two staring orbs reflecting the red and white light of the marquee. At that point, I know my expression betrayed me. The silent one had a look of horror on his face in a combination that seemed to indicate A, the impossible had just happened, and B, we've been found out. The spokesman, on the other hand, wore a mask of anger. His eyes glittered brightly in the half-light. Come on, mister, he said. We won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. That last statement scared the living hell out of me, because at that point, by his tone, he was plainly saying, We don't need a gun. He noticed my hand shooting down toward the shift gear. The spokesman's final words contained an anger that was complete and whole, and yet contained in some respects a tone of panic. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I ripped the car into reverse. Thank goodness no one was coming up behind me and tore out of the parking lot. I noticed the boys in my peripheral vision, and I stole a quick glance back. They were gone. The sidewalk by the theater was deserted. I drove home in a heightened state of panic. Had anyone attempted to stop me, I would have run on through and faced the consequences later. I bolted into my house, scanning all around, including the sky. What did I see? Maybe nothing more than some kids looking for a ride and some really funky contacts. Yeah, right. Brian. Proper research into the paranormal, supernatural, and extraterrestrial involves a fair amount of sifting through deliberate hoaxes and addressing what is left with healthy skepticism. Everybody brings their own suppositions to the table when forming conclusions. These presuppositions need to be detached whether they are spiritual or scientific.
For example, science would look for the natural answer and might conclude it as a hallucination due to its uncommonality. A spiritual person might see them as trying to give us a message, and a Bible-believing Christian might simply disregard it as demonic. All presuppositions focus on the supporting facts and disregard the unsupportive ones. To really understand the phenomenon, we must examine as many credible cases as possible and make note of the differences and similarities. The following is an excerpt from David Weatherly's book titled The Black-Eyed Children. I will leave a link below if you would like more information. This is an account by a gentleman named Paul. Like many people trying to find reason in something they couldn't understand, Paul prefaced his account with a statement about his disbelief. I want you to know that I just don't believe in Bigfoot or flying saucers or anything like that. It's just something that happened and I've never been able to understand it. Now, I'm not a small man, I'm around 6'3", and you might mistake me for a linebacker. I actively lift weights on a regular basis and I train in martial arts. I've been in the service when I was young and then worked as a prison guard for years after that. Let's just say I've been in some intense situations and in my time I've seen brutal fights, prison brawls, and knife attacks, the worst society has to offer. Nothing could have prepared me for what I'm about to tell you. I arrived home from work one evening after a day shift at the prison. I changed out of my uniform and went to the kitchen to prepare a sandwich. Since my wife and son were out of town for a few days, I had the house to myself. I decided to just relax, have a couple of beers, and watch some sports before turning in. It wasn't often that I had the house to myself. I just wanted to enjoy a really low-key, relaxing night. I was standing in the kitchen when I heard a knock at the front door. At first, I wasn't sure it was a knock. It was kind of soft and continuous, and I thought maybe it was just some other noise from outside. I just kept making my food and ignored it for a few minutes. Then it got louder, and I knew it must be someone knocking at the front door. I thought it was odd that the person didn't ring the doorbell. I left my food on the counter and approached the front door. I looked out one of the small side panel windows on the door's frame. I saw two young boys on the porch. From their size, I guess they were between 12 and 14 years old. I opened the door and looked at the kids. I didn't recognize these children from the neighborhood, and I knew all the kids. The boys were dressed in similar fashion, both wearing hoodies and jeans. One boy's top was gray and the other's was a dark brown. The boy in brown stood slightly behind the boy in the gray hoodie, and they both held their heads tilted downward. Neither child said anything when I opened the door. They just stood there with their heads down, like you do in the rain, but it wasn't raining. The scene just seemed very odd to me. I broke the silence. Can I help you? I was expecting a sales pitch for a school fundraiser, or maybe selling magazines. Maybe they just had the wrong house, but I was not expecting the response I received. The lead boy in gray kind of smiled and replied, Hey, we just wanted to stop in for a bit. I was completely puzzled by such an odd reply. It's almost like I didn't quite understand his statement. I knew these boys weren't friends of my son's because these boys were much older and I knew all of his friends. After a moment, I responded to the boys, Do I know you guys? I think maybe you've got the wrong house. The boys didn't react to me at all. 
I thought maybe he didn't hear me until the lead boy spoke again. Oh, well, it's getting kind of late. Can we come in for a bit? It was another odd response, and I wasn't sure what to think about the situation. I couldn't explain it, but something was causing the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. I had this feeling that this kid was ignoring me and focusing on me all at the same time. It just made absolutely no sense. Why would a couple of kids show up at a stranger's door and want to come in? With my internal alarms going off, I began to look at the kids more closely. It was early evening and the porch light was on, so I shifted my stance to get a better look at their faces. I wanted to know exactly who these boys were and what they were up to. It was then that I realized with a shock that the boys' eyes were solid black. No whites of the eye, and they didn't have on any kind of glasses or anything else. That was their natural eye that I saw. The lead boy looked directly up at me and spoke again. This time his voice was more insistent, and he suddenly seemed more threatening. It would be good if you just let us come in now. You don't have to think about it. Just open the door some and ask us in. I was rooted to the spot. My brain was trying to process what was happening. I felt like I couldn't move. I was a little dizzy and had kind of a numb feeling. I started thinking that maybe I should just let them in. After all, they were only a couple of kids. I'm not sure how long I stood there. I felt locked in the moment, trying to make my body move. The same boy spoke once more. It's okay. This won't take long. That comment jerked me into action. All of the sudden, I felt my fight-or-flight response kick in, and it got me moving. Even though I towered over these two boys, my response was one of fear. The last thing I saw as I slammed the door shut and shouted for them to get off my porch was those two boys looking at me. Two sets of those creepy, solid black eyes just boring a hole in me. With the door closed, I leaned against it. I felt like I had to hold it shut. I locked the deadbolt and stood quietly trying to calm myself. My adrenaline was still rushing through my body and I felt short of breath. Then came the knock. It was a long, steady knock on the door. Soft at first, just like I had heard to begin with. Those damn boys still wanted in. I realized that I'd been squeezing my eyes shut. I opened them and looked around the room. I didn't know what to do. I fought the urge to run. My brain was telling me that it was my house and I wasn't running from any kids. But another part of me just wanted to hide. I turned and slowly backed away from the front door. I stopped partway across the room and stood there looking at the entrance to my home. The knocking stopped. I felt a cold chill come over me. There, staring in through the side panel window was the face of one of the boys, his black eyes looking into the living room, staring straight at me. We made eye contact, and the boy raised a hand, tapping on the glass as he peered inside. I took a deep breath to try and calm my nerves, but I was feeling anger now swelling up. I'd had enough. No one was going to invade my home or make me feel afraid like this. I ran into the bedroom and retrieved my pistol from the nightstand. I was determined to scare these punk kids off my property. I put a clip in the gun and rushed back to the living room. 
I flung the front door wide open and stepped out on the porch, determined to face the strange kids. They were nowhere in sight. It was the weirdest thing. The porch was empty, but I know it had only taken me a couple of minutes at the most to grab and load that pistol. I searched the yard front and back, the driveway, the garage, and I even went up and down the street. There was no sign of those black-eyed boys anywhere. That night, I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking about the two strange kids who had shown up on my doorstep. I walked the house constantly, checking the doors and windows. The next day was my day off, and I made it a point to speak to my neighbors to find out if any of them had seen the kids. No one else reported any sign of unusual boys or strange kids in the area. I was plagued by questions that I couldn't answer regarding the children who had appeared at my door that night. What did they really want? How had they vanished so quickly? What would have happened if I'd let them in, and, most importantly, how were they able to induce such a state of fear within me? The similarities of these cases are intriguing. From the strange dress of two boys to the accompanying fight-or-flight response, an unexplainable confusion. Both stories left the individual asking themselves, what happened and why was I so scared? Join us for part two of The Black-Eyed Children where we will try to answer some questions concerning this phenomenon. Are they alien-human hybrids? Are they the spirits of children that have died? Are they possessed children or demonic entities? Has anyone ever invited them in? We will explore these and other questions on part two of The Black-Eyed Children. Thanks for listening to Scary But True Campfire Stories presented by Dudes Camping. Narrated by Matthew S. Newbold. Click the PayPal link below if you wish to support this channel and donate any amount to keep us going. You can purchase audiobooks from Matthew S. Newbold on Audible and iTunes. Email us at dudescampingstories at gmail with your scary but true story and we'll consider it for broadcast. Please hit the like button if you enjoyed this story and leave a comment. Any characters like this is pure coincidence. If you were offended by the research from actual books and not from Wikipedia or a quick superficial search on the internet, then please don't bother leaving a comment. You are a tool. Until next time, we will see you around the campfire.